Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from Beautiful Joe by Margaret Marshall Saunders. Chapter 6. The Fox Terrier, Billy. When I came to the Morris family, I knew nothing about the proper way of bringing up a puppy. I once heard of a little boy whose sister beat him so much that he said he was brought up by hand. So I think as Jenkins kicked me so much, I may say that I was brought up by foot. Shortly after my arrival in my new home, I had a chance of seeing how one should bring up a little puppy. One day, I was sitting beside Miss Laura in the parlor when the door opened and Jack came in. One of his hands was laid over the other, and he said to his sister, "'Guess what I've got here?' "'A bird,' she said. "'No. A rat. A mouse. No. A pup.' "'Oh, Jack,' she said reprovingly, for she thought he was telling a story. He opened his hands, and there lay the tiniest morsel of a fox terrier puppy that I ever saw. He was white, with black and tan markings. His body was pure white, his tail black, with a dash of tan, his ears black, and his face evenly marked with black and tan. We could not tell the color of his eyes, as they were not open.' Later on, they turned to be a pretty brown. His nose was pale pink, and when he got older, it became jet black. "'Why, Jack!' exclaimed Miss Laura. "'His eyes aren't open. Why did you take him from his mother?' "'She's dead,' said Jack. "'Poisoned. Left her pups to run about the yard for a little exercise. Some brute had thrown over a piece of poisoned meat, and she ate it.' Four of the pups died. This is the only one left. Mr. Robinson said his man doesn't understand raising pups without their mothers. And, as he's going away, he wants us to have it, for we always have such luck in nursing sick animals. Mr. Robinson, I knew, was a friend of the Morrises, and a gentleman who was fond of fancy stock, and imported a great deal of it from England. If this puppy came from him, it was sure to be a good one. Miss Laura took the tiny creature and went upstairs very thoughtfully. I followed her and watched her get a little basket and line it with cotton wool. She put the puppy in it and looked at him. Though it was midsummer and the house seemed very warm to me, the little creature was shivering and making a low, murmuring noise. She pulled the wool all over him and put the window down and set his basket in the sun. Then she went to the kitchen and got some warm milk. She dipped her finger in it and offered it to the puppy. "'but he went nosing about in a stupid way and wouldn't touch it. "'Too young,' Miss Laura said. "'She got a little piece of muslin, put some bread in it, "'tied a string around it, and dipped it in the milk. "'When she put this to the puppy's mouth, he sucked it greedily. "'He acted as if he was starving, but Miss Laura let him have only a little. "'Every few hours, for the rest of the day, she gave him some more milk, "'and I heard the boys say that for many nights "'she got up once or twice and heated milk over a lamp for him.' One night the milk was cold before he took it, and he became so ill that Miss Laura had to get some hot water in which to plunge him. That made him well again. No one seemed to think it was a great trouble to take care for a creature that was nothing but a dog. He fully repaid them for all this care, for he turned out to be the one of the prettiest and most lovable dogs that I ever saw. They called him Billy, and the two events of his early life were the opening of his eyes and the swallowing of his muslin rag. 
the rag did not seem to hurt him. But Miss Laura said that, as he had not got so strong and greedy, he must learn to eat like other dogs. He was very amusing when he was a puppy. He was full of tricks, and he crept about in a mischievous way when one did not know he was near. He was a very small puppy, and used to climb inside Miss Laura's jersey sleeve up to her shoulder when he was six years old. One day, when the whole family was in the parlor, Mr. Morris suddenly flung aside his newspaper and began jumping up and down. Mrs. Morris was very alarmed and cried out, "'My dear William, what is the matter?' "'There's a rat up my leg,' he said, shaking it violently." Just then, little Billy fell out of the floor and lay on his back looking up at Mr. Morris with a surprised face. He had felt cold and thought it would be warm inside Mr. Morris's trousers leg. However, Billy never did any real mischief, thanks to Miss Laura's training. She began to punish him just as soon as he began to tear and worry things. The first thing he attacked was Mr. Morris's felt hat. The wind blew it down the hall one day, and Billy came along and began to try it with his teeth. I dare say it felt good to them, for a puppy is very much like a baby and loves something to bite. Miss Laura found him, and he rolled his eyes at her quite innocently, not knowing that he was doing wrong. She took the hat away, and pointing from it to him, said, "'Bad Billy.' Then she gave him two or three slaps with a bootlace. She never struck a little dog with her hand or a stick. She said sticks were for big dogs and switches for little dogs, if one had to use them. The best way was to scold them, for a good dog feels a severe scolding as much as a whipping. Billy was very much ashamed of himself. Nothing would induce him even to look at a hat again. But he thought it no harm to worry other things. He attacked one thing after another. The rugs on the floor, curtains, anything flying or fluttering, and Miss Laura patiently scolded him for each one, till at last it dawned upon him that he must not worry anything but a bone. Then he grew to be a very good dog. There was one thing that Miss Laura was very particular about, and that was to have him fed regularly. We both had three meals a day. We were never allowed to go into the dining room, and while the family was at the table, we lay in the hall outside and watched what was going on. Dogs take a great interest in what anyone gets to eat. It was quite exciting to see the Morrises passing each other different dishes and to smell the nice hot food. Billy often wished he could get up on the table. He said he would make things fly. When he was growing, he hardly ever got enough to eat. I used to tell him he would kill himself if he ate all he wanted. As soon as the meals were over, Billy and I scampered after Miss Laura to the kitchen. Each one had his own plate for food. Mary, the cook, often laughed at Miss Laura because she would not let her dogs dish together. Miss Laura said if she did, the larger one would get more than his share and the little one would starve. It was quite a sight to see Billy eat. He spread his legs apart to steady himself and gobbled at his food like a duck. When he finished, he always looked up for more, and Miss Laura would shake her head and say, No, Billy, better longing than loathing. I believe a great many little dogs are killed by overfeeding. I often heard the Morrises speak of the foolish way in which some people stuff their pets with food, and either kill them by it, or keep them in continual ill health. A case occurred in our neighborhood while Billy was a puppy. Some people, called Dobson, who lived only a few doors from us, had a fine bay mare and a little colt called Sam. They were very proud of this colt, and Mr. Dobson promised it to his son James. One day Mr. Dobson asked Mr. Morris to come in and see the colt, and I went too. I watched Mr. Morris while he examined it. 
It was a pretty little creature, and I did not wonder why they thought so much about it. When Mr. Morris went home, his wife asked him what he thought of it. I think, he said, that it won't live long. Why, Papa, exclaimed Jack, who overheard the remark. It is as fat as a seal. It would have a better chance for it life if it were lean and scrawny, said Mr. Morris. They are overfeeding it, and I told Mr. Dobson so, but he wasn't inclined to believe me. Now, Mr. Morris had been brought up in the country and knew a great deal about animals, so I was inclined to think he was right. And sure enough, in a few days, we heard the colt was dead. Poor James Dobson felt very badly. A number of the neighbor's boys went in to see him, and there he stood gazing at the dead colt and looking as if he wanted to cry. Jack was there, and I was at his heels, and though he said nothing for a time, I knew he was angry with the Dobsons for sacrificing the colt's life. Presently, he said, "'You won't need to have that colt stuffed now that he's dead, Dobson.' "'What do you mean? Why do you say that?' asked the boy peevishly. "'Because you stuffed him while he was alive,' said Jack saucily. "'Then we had to run for all we were worth, for the Dobson boy was after us, and he was a big fellow. He would have whipped Jack soundly.' I must not forget to say that Billy was washed regularly, once a week with nice-smelling soap, and once a month with strong-smelling, disagreeable, carbolic soap. He had his own towels and washcloths, and after being rubbed and scrubbed, he was rolled in a blanket and put by the fire to dry. Miss Laura said that a little dog that has been petted and kept in the house and become tender should never be washed and allowed to run about with a wet coat, unless the weather is very warm, for he would be sure to take cold. Jim and I were more hardy than Billy, and we took our baths in the sea. Every few days, the boys took us down to the shore, and we went in swimming with them. Chapter 7. Training a Puppy Ned, dear, said Miss Laura one day, I wish you would train Billy to follow and retrieve. He is four months old now, and I shall soon want to take him out on the street. Very well, sister, said mischievous Ned. And, catching up his stick, he said, "'Come out into the garden, dogs.' Though he was brandishing his stick very fiercely, I was not at all afraid of him. And as for Billy, he loved Ned. The Morris garden was really not a garden, but a large piece of ground with the grass worn bare in many places, and a few trees scattered about, with some raspberry and currant bushes across the fence. A lady who knew that Mr. Morris had not a large salary— said one day when she was looking out of the dining room window, "'My dear Mrs. Morris, why don't you have this garden dug up? You could raise your own vegetables. It would be so much cheaper than buying them.' Mrs. Morris laughed in great amusement. "'Think of the hens and cats and dogs and rabbits, and above all, the boys that I have. What sort of a garden would there be? And do you think it would be fair to take their playground from them?' The lady said no. She did not think that was fair." I am sure I do not know what the boys would have done without this strip of ground. Many a frolic and game they had there. In the present case, Ned walked around and around it with his stick on the shoulder, Billy and I strolling after him. Presently, Billy made a dash aside to get a bone. Ned turned around and said firmly, "'To heal!' Billy looked at him innocently, not knowing what he meant. "'To heal!' exclaimed Ned again. Billy thought he wanted to play." and putting his head on his paws, he began to bark. Ned laughed, and still he kept saying, to heal. He would not say another word. He knew if he said, come here, or follow, or go behind, it would confuse Billy. 
Finally, as Ned kept saying the words over and over and pointing to me, it seemed to dawn upon Billy that he wanted him to follow him. So he came beside me, and together we followed Ned around the garden again and again. Ned often looked behind with a pleased face, and I felt so proud to think I was doing well. But suddenly I got dreadfully confused when he turned around and said, "'Hi out!' The Morrises all used the same words in training their dogs, and I had heard Miss Laura say this, but I had forgotten what it meant. "'Good, Joe,' said Ned, patting me. "'You have forgotten. I wonder where Jim is. He would help us.' He put his fingers in his mouth and blew a shrill whistle, and soon Jim came trotting up the lane from the street. He looked at us with his large, intelligent eyes and wagged his tail slowly as if to say, "'Well, what do you want of me?' "'Come and give me a hand at this training business, old Sobersides,' said Ned with a laugh. "'It's too slow to do it alone. "'Now, young gentlemen, attention! To heel!' He began to march around the garden again, and Jim and I followed closely at his heels, while little Billy, seeing that he could not get us to play with him, came lagging behind. Soon Ned turned around and said, "'Hi out!' Old Jim sprang ahead and ran off in front as if she was after something." Now I remembered what high out meant. We were to have a lovely race whenever we liked. Little Billy loved this. We ran and scampered hither and thither, and Ned watched us, laughing at our antics. After tea, he called us out into the garden again and said he had something else to teach us. He turned up a tub on the wooden platform at the back door and sat on it, and then called Jim to him. He took a small leather strap from his pocket. It had a nice, strong smell. We all licked it, and each dog wished to have it. No, Joe and Billy, said Ned, holding us by our collars. You wait a minute. Here, Jim. Jim watched him very earnestly, and Ned threw the strap halfway across the garden and said, Fetch it. Jim never moved until he heard the words, Fetch it. Then he ran swiftly, brought the strap, and dropped it in Ned's hand. Ned sent him after it two or three times, and then he said to Jim, Lie down, and turned to me. Here, Joe, it is your turn. He threw the strap under the raspberry bushes, and then looked at me and said, Fetch it. I knew quite well what he meant, and ran joyfully after it. I soon found it by the strong smell, but the queerest thing happened when I got it in my mouth. I began to gnaw it and play with it, and when Ned called out, Fetch it, I dropped it and ran toward him. I was not obstinate, but I was stupid. Ned pointed to the place where it was and spread out his empty hands. That helped me, and I ran quickly and got it. He made me get it for him several times. Sometimes I could not find it, and sometimes I dropped it, but he never stirred. He sat still till I brought it to him. After a while, he tried Billy, but it soon got dark, and we could not see, so he took Billy and went into the house. I stayed out with Jim for a while, and he asked me if I knew why Ned had thrown a strap for us instead of a bone or something hard. Of course, I did not know. So Jim told me it was on his account. He was a bird dog and was never allowed to carry anything hard in his mouth because it would make him hard-mouthed, and he would be apt to bite the birds when he was bringing them back to any person who was shooting with him. I said to him, "'Jim, how is it that you never go out shooting? "'I have always heard you are a dog for that, "'and yet you never leave home.' "'He hung his head a little and said he did not wish to go, "'and then, for he was an honest dog, "'he gave me the true reason.'" 
Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Visit our website at www.enchantedlibrary.net to see our past books or to connect with us on Facebook. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.